week around minor league baseball. And as we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast, we will uh, do our best to help you uh, parse and uh, dissect and hopefully digest and understand what's going on. And uh, we might be able to, to bring a little knowledge and some light to the circumstances. Maybe uh, it's a complicated week. Hey, everybody. I'm Tyler Mon. He's Sam Dykstra, virtually side by side for this week's episode of the show. What's going on, man? How are you? I've never thought about it that way of us being virtually side by side because we've always done this apart. Um, now we just do it from our own homes. But yeah, I like that idea now that we are actually sitting side by side talking to you guys. Yeah. Like, we need to do like astral projections or something. We're getting you through this. When, when, when Zoom goes to 2021 and it's just people projected into other people's living rooms, that will be something. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> That would be, I don't want, I don't want that at all. I don't want that <laughs> by any measure. Now that I think about it more, I don't, I don't think I want that. Uh, I rarely look, what's the word, presentable at all to anyone. So Fair enough. You, you all don't need to see me. Yeah. Um, but hey, we, uh, we welcome you in. Like, like noted, a huge week around minor league baseball as the long anticipated restructure of the minor leagues by major league baseball uh, is fully underway. We will start off with some of the things that we do not know. We do not know the list of the 120 teams that will reportedly comprise full season ball uh, headed toward 2021. We're expecting that in the coming weeks. Um, we don't know the full structure of major league organizations top to bottom. Now there are a few organizations who have kind of posted their structures or in roundabout ways have given us ideas of what their farm systems will be and what teams will make those up. Um, and we don't have that stuff as of yet, but we do have some news items that we want to get to today uh, because we did have a, a lot of big developments early on this week. We're recording this on Wednesday evening, the 2nd of December. So by the time you get this on Thursday, could be some more news that's out. But uh, here is where we stand as of today. Several uh, weeks ago, just after the close of the season, uh, we were all informed and the news broke that the formerly – Rookie-level Appalachian League would change to be a collegiate wood bat league for the 2021 season and beyond, uh, which would be one open to freshman and sophomore collegiate players uh, as a, a summertime league, uh, similar maybe to the Cape Cod League, some other leagues that fans are familiar with. We now know that two other leagues are uh, in the news, one of which you are familiar with the name of, and one of which is brand new, but is made up now of teams that you're probably familiar with. Let's start with that one. There is a new league, the MLB Draft League, which has been launched with six teams uh, that will carry that banner into the 2021 season and beyond. And it is uh, largely around the footprint of what was the New York Penn League. Right now, four former New York Penn League teams are part of that league. So that's the Mahoning Valley Scrappers, the State College Spikes, the West Virginia Black Bears, and the Williamsport Crosscutters. The fifth team that is announced as being in that league is the Trenton Thunder, formerly the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees. According to the release about this league, there is a sixth team that is currently in the advanced stages of negotiation to join that league uh, and presumably will be announced in relatively short order. Not sure if there will be a seventh or eighth team beyond that. Uh, we don't know the full scope of what the MLB draft league will look like uh, going into 2021, but that is part of it. We'll talk about that. Uh, there is another league that you well remember, especially if you're from the part of the country where I'm sitting right now, the Pioneer League, uh, like the Appalachian League, formerly a rookie level circuit, 
That one is now an independent league, or as it will be known uh, for purposes of its relationship with Major League Baseball, a partner league. It joins three other leagues, formerly just straight independent leagues, with that designation. Those ones, the American Association, the Atlantic League, and the Frontier League. The Pioneer League now becomes a partner league, an independent league. So the teams that are currently part of the Pioneer League will no longer have Major League parent clubs. So those eight teams, the Billings Mustangs, Grand Junction Rockies, the Great Falls Voyagers, the Idaho Falls Chuckers, uh, the Missoula Paddleheads, who, weirdly enough, never got to play a season as the Paddleheads as an affiliated club, uh, the Ogden Raptors, the now Northern Colorado Owls, formerly the Orem Owls, and the Rocky Mountain Vibes. So those eight teams, formerly with parent clubs, formerly in major league organizations, now independent. We'll talk about that as things go along as well. Uh, There is one more short season league that we do not know the fate of as of yet. That is the Class A short season North Northwest League. Back East, the New York Penn League, we know that several of those teams have been split off now and formed into part of the Draft League. The Northwest League, we don't know yet. Um, there have been a lot of rumors as to what the Northwest League will become. There are a lot of great facilities in the Northwest League that presumably uh, that speaks well for some of those teams and not for the league's footprint as a whole. Um, but we don't know the, the fate of the Northwest League as of yet. So, Sam, let's start with the Draft League. This is something that's entirely new. The Appy League shifting over to being a, a collegiate summer woodbat league, primarily focused on freshmen and sophomores. This is going to be different. It is technically for any draft eligible player. So we were talking about this before we came on and started recording. And I had said, you know, this will be a little bit more upperclassmen, juniors or seniors. Somebody's trying to make an impression maybe before the draft, that type of thing. And you made a good point, which is that technically high school players could be eligible for this freshmen and sophomores in college could be eligible for this. This is a a little bit broader scope, uh, but give us kind of the nuts and bolts of what the draft league is as we understand it right now. Yeah. So the the draft league is pretty aptly named in in that it is almost think about what we have in the combine and some of these other sports. Um, This is almost that not quite. I mean, the combine for football, when I think about that, it's a bunch of guys going to Indianapolis, you run the 40, you run the cone drill, you do whatever. um, And you try to show off their, this is actually in the game environment. So you, you're on with a team, you're, you're playing there. The schedule here is going to start in late May end in early August. I'm going to get to that schedule part here in a minute. Uh, but you play actual games. The draft this year has been pushed back to the all-star break. It's going to be part of all-star week in Atlanta. Uh, it's normally held in June. Now it's going to be held in July. That allows for a little extra time. Some of these guys, you know, there might be an injury. There might be, hey, you're projected as a fifth, sixth round pick. You play in this league, you do really well. Maybe you get that bumped up to second or third, or maybe even first if you do really well. We'll see how things go. But um, these, this league is going to be heavily scouted. Uh, it's kind of going to be a finishing league for draft prospects. Um, how big of a name are we going to get here? We'll have to wait and see. I mean, it, it, it's just getting formed now. Uh, as Tyler said, there's advanced negotiations for a six team. So we don't even fully know the entire makeup of the league just yet. Um, But if you are a junior or a senior in college looking to polish off your resume, this is a great place to do that. But again, we're going to harp on that draft eligible also includes junior college players. It includes high school players. Um, You know, maybe high school guys are going to shy away from that. We're not going to see that much, but let's say you're a high school player playing in Florida or Texas, you get injured in March need to make up some innings or some at-bats, this is an opportunity to do that. Now, the interesting thing, I got a lot of tweets about this when the news broke. Uh, 
there is going to be an all-star break for the draft league. They're going to take some time to pause themselves while the draft happens. Um, and then after that, how are things going to go? We're going to have to wait and see about that because minor league teams are being cold. Uh, you know, there's, there is going to be no short season. So just because a player is drafted, that doesn't necessarily mean they're automatically going to be pulled out. There could be some sort of waiver system. This is me kind of speculating here, but based on some of the stuff we're hearing, um, you know, they could, the, the parent club say, Hey, we still want you to play. We just don't have room for you. We don't want to send you to the GCL. You're too advanced for that. Keep playing where you're playing. Yes. There's a risk of injury there, but there's going to be a risk of injury anywhere they're playing. So We'll have to keep an eye on the, how the dynamics of that are going to work out. Um, it might be rosters are kind of remade in the second half because guys get drafted and they, they sign and then they want to go play elsewhere. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And I don't think we're really fully going to know until teams are fully in it and trying to negotiate of like, you know, do we want to take this guy out right now or do we want to let him keep pitching um, or do we want him to let, you know, to keep hitting all, all that kind of stuff uh, outside of our umbrella. I'm sure there's going to be different philosophies on all that and how that goes, but this, this has a chance to be really interesting. I think it's, it's great for the, the New York Penn league clubs uh, that are getting to stick around with this. 68 games is pretty close to what they were already playing in a normal short season. Uh, so in terms of just games on the ground, games in the stadium, uh, the schedule is not going to be too affected by that. The quality is going to be a little bit different on it. Obviously, um, you know, you're going to be getting basically only draft eligible players. So that means exclusively players from the United States, uh, Canada and Puerto Rico. Um, you're not going to be getting international players, but the these are guys trying to go high in the draft. And when you're watching games of the New York Penn League, it's not guaranteed that everybody there was a high draft pick or a high international signing. So these are all players with something to prove they're there for a reason. And that's pretty neat. So uh, really looking forward to how the dynamics of this are going to play out. But uh, it seems like encouraging news right now for, you know, Mahoning Valley State College, West Virginia and Williamsport, and even to a degree Trenton, which after the Yankees announced their new affiliates and Trenton was left out, we were all wondering what is the next step here? Uh, I know a lot of people were hoping for affiliated ball, but they seem to have found something here in Trenton. And, and that's great for everybody in that area of Jersey, still looking to watch high quality baseball. So uh, there are going to be multiple options now for players coming up the ladder toward professional baseball, toward the, the collegiate ranks, and now with these summer leagues. Um, the Pioneer League is going to take a different route. The Pioneer League, formerly a, a rookie-level circuit, now will be one of these partner leagues. Those are leagues that will operate uh, essentially as miniature versions of Major League Baseball, I guess, if you wanted to put it that way, where they're just uh, their own deal. Um, there will be some resource sharing and that type of stuff for the first few seasons of these leagues, as we understand it under this current arrangement, but none of those players who are in that league will be assigned to affiliated contracts. They will play uh, as part of independent teams. And uh, that provides additional pathways for players to get into uh, the affiliated ranks. Essentially, you want to think about it this way. What major league baseball is doing with the minor league structure is taking away short season, non-complex ball and turning it more toward uh, an eye on these independent circuits filling that role and the players who play well and assert themselves, equip themselves well in those leagues now provide their own opportunities to sign contracts, make their way into full season ball in an organization, that type of thing. Um, this is going to be a big change uh, for Pioneer League fans. 
who have been used to, you know, the, the Billings Mustangs have had an affiliation with the Cincinnati Reds. It goes back, I believe, until the 1950s. Uh, and so there are going to be some huge changes for what this looks and feels like um, across the, the Pioneer League spectrum. It's not going to be different for fans of the American Association, the Atlantic League, the Frontier League. They will uh, lose some of those teams, as it sounds um, with a couple of franchises that have confirmed the Sugarland Skeeters will become an affiliate of the Houston Astros, the St. Paul Saints will become an affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. Um, but those independent leagues will remain independent. This is new for the Pioneer League, and it's going to be an interesting change. Yeah, and and I, I know this is going to come across a little bit of spin, and I understand that, but just one way to kind of look at this uh, from a an independent league aspect, and, and this is harping a little bit on the idea of it being an MLB partner league, is so much of the tie-in with minor league baseball is getting to watch these guys come up. And, you know, you talk about players from Billings. If you see them one day wearing a Cincinnati Reds uniform, that – you kind of feel like a sense of ownership and I get that. And I never want to put that down in any way. Uh, but the fact that they, this still has ties to MLB um, a lot of this, you know, the MLB is going to be, as Tyler said, in terms of sharing resources, there's going to be uh, you know, they're going to be doing operating uh, there. I think they're funding operating costs for the first year, which is great. That's going to be a big way of helping to prop things up, but also they're going to be installing scouting tech across all the ballparks here. And that scouting tech is going to be used by all the organizations trying to find the next big thing here in the pioneer league. Um, so there are still going to be players who are going to be signed out of this league and brought up at the, based on what they show in your backyard. If you're in Utah, Colorado, you know, Idaho, Montana, what have you. Um, so that's kind of exciting. Uh, that there are there is still this tie here and that that tech i think is going to help take the pioneer league to another level um but i'm just happy that it's kind of a full season uh that they're going to be playing here it's going to be 92 game regular season that's what they announced which is definitely more than what the pioneer league was previously getting um so that's great there's going to be more baseball in these areas uh it's going to be Again, a little bit higher quality, maybe on the same level, but uh, these are going to be players who are probably coming out of college and thought they should have been drafted and and didn't get signed and now are going to try to prove themselves. Um, So they've been through the rigmarole of some of these bigger conferences. Uh, You're not going to get the 18, 19-year-olds. You're going to probably get some 24, 25-year-olds, but they're still going to have something to prove. Um, So there's going to be a lot of really interesting battles to watch there. Also, because it is independent ball, the idea of somebody getting called up just because they got hot is a little bit lesser than. Um, so you can kind of have a little bit more ownership in these towns of, Hey, this is my team. They're going to be around all year. Yes. Like I said earlier, I, I, I recognize that if somebody does get hot and really shows something, they get, get signed and that's great too. Um, but you're more likely to see less roster turnover, I think, which is going to be a lot easier to follow these teams in these locations. Um, and when there is roster turnover, it's probably because a guy was really good and got signed, which is great news as well. And you can still take ownership of his rise uh, through the pro ranks. So, um, yeah, the biggest thing for me here is just expanded baseball in these towns. That's awesome. Um, the quality is going to be about the same. And just keeping these in baseball in some way, because I've never gotten the chance to, to visit some of these places. But uh, and we'll talk to Ben about this later. But. I was always jealous of his road trips to the Pioneer League. It seems like some awesome locations. Tyler, you can yeah. talk to this much better than I can. Um, 
having worked with Grand Junction some, but like, it's amazing. Some of these places that these guys get to play. Uh, and, and this is one strut area of the country uh, that kind of gets overlooked a little bit for pro sports. I know that, you know, you, you go to the Midwest and then you kind of skip over to the West coast, no offense, Tyler, but I want jerks. these areas to still, yeah. You jerks. Yeah. I want these areas to still have baseball in, in their towns. And the fact that it's now going to exist for a 92 game schedule, uh, which means 46 games at home for every team is awesome. Awesome news. And that's a little bit more than they were getting previously. Yeah. Um, and you know, to be frank about all of this, it's, it's very jarring. And obviously the, the takes on social media are, uh, are varied and there's a lot of confusion about what it all means. The minor leagues are confusing to understand regardless. I mean, if you're a person who is a casual baseball fan or a casual sports fan, the minor league structure as it exists, and even as it'll exist going forward, it's kind of confusing to wrap your mind around in the first place. I remember before I worked in minor league baseball, uh, back when I was in high school, thinking like, you know, the the team that I like has a new affiliate at this level. Well, what happens with the players from that team last year? Are those players that are signed with the minor league team or are they signed with the major league team? You know, those little things you don't really know. You don't know the intricacies of it. So there's a lot of confusion about what all these moves mean. Um, and yes, Sam and I are both employees of MLB.com. We're obviously coming at it from a perspective of what does this mean for all of us going forward? I do think that a lot of these moves are potentially very exciting and very reinvigorating for baseball. Um, and I hope that that is the case for baseball and all of these communities. I think in large part, a lot of fans who turn out to games will have largely the same experience that they've come to rely and depend on if they go to a game in Grand Junction or if they go to a game in Idaho Falls or in, uh, you know, Trenton or wherever. I think so many fans go because they love the experience of being at the ballpark, watching baseball the family activities uh, that go on, the between-inning contests, the fireworks nights, um, you know, ballpark food, all that type of stuff. That stuff's not going to change. The things you love about minor league baseball, those are going to be present, and they're going to morph uh, and evolve as part of these new leagues, I think, which is going to be really cool as well. So that, I think, is something to really keep in mind. There are a lot of moving parts with all of this, but I think so many of these have the potential to be really exciting. Uh, especially, you know, in the case of something like the Pioneer League, like you said, Sam, in addition to adding a whole bunch of home dates for these teams, on top of all that, you now have players who are entering uh, sort of an unprecedented stage in their careers. Now, indie ball is obviously not unprecedented. There have been independent leagues for as long as there has been baseball, but there's never been an independent structure under the overarching umbrella of Major League Baseball. What these guys are going to be attempting to do now is break through to sign with a Major League franchise from an independent league in a way that is so different from before. Prior to 2021, you're playing in an indie ball league. Uh, you're either somebody who's pursuing a very unorthodox route uh, to try to make your way into affiliated ball, whether that's you came from a small school, you weren't drafted, something like that, uh, or you're somebody who's already played in affiliated ball and you've been released, you've been let go, you've been injured, something uh, along those lines. Now we're going to have an atmosphere in, in a circumstance like the Pioneer League where these are guys who are playing for the future of their baseball lives. Um, that's something that's pretty new, and that I think has the potential to be very exciting. So there are a lot of things in these movements. And again, there are a lot of moving parts uh, with all of these decisions and, and the structures of the leagues and the structures of organizations and all of that. But I do think there is a ton of reason to believe that this all deserves a chance. I know it's very frustrating uh, for minor league baseball fans and certainly uh, 
when I think of towns that, uh, you know, have held such long connections with affiliated organizations and all that type of stuff, that's, that's painful, I think, in a lot of communities and all that. Um, and none of this is to minimize any of that. Keeping baseball around, though, uh, is a very positive thing. And I think once these leagues get up and running, people are going to realize that the product that they have fallen in love with, whether it's minor league baseball or it's something under a different name, like the Pioneer League as a partner league, a lot of those things are going to stay the same. Um, and that, I think, is really cool. The, the affiliation structure for Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, has been largely unchanged, at least in, in the way that we see it now. I mean, there were, you know, times back in the 1930s when major league organizations have like 25 minor league affiliates, and that's not a, an exaggeration, but um, you know, the structure has been pretty much the same for well over half a century to shake things up right now. I think there are a lot of potential really exciting and positive things coming in all of this. Um, and so I would say, to give it a chance. If it's in your community, um, don't write it off just because it's a change. I think there is a lot of stuff coming that could be really, really cool. And again, we'll still have more developments on this, you know, as the month of December goes along and into the new year. Um, but I think there are a lot of things for fans that have the potential to be um, really exciting. You know, one is happening 30 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. There's a brand new complex that's going up that will play host to uh, the new Northern Colorado team in the Pioneer League. Um, there is so much that is going to look different on the baseball landscape in 2021. And, uh, and we'll see how it all plays out. But I think there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah. And one thing I, I do want to point out tangential to what Tyler was just saying, was, which is um, one of the a lot of the tweets I've been getting about this is about how the rollout has come out. And, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing about the Yankees first announcing who their affiliates were going to be and, and leaving a team like Trenton and a team like Staten Island, who we still don't have official news on yet, um, kind of in a scramble and, and how unfortunate that really was. And if, you know, I were to design how this rollout would happen, I would want it to be something like this. You know, I would, would love to be able to tell Pioneer League teams, which we've done this week, this is where baseball is going to be. It's going to be more games than you've had. Um, it, this is exactly how it's going to look. Here's something to look forward to, to 2001, uh, 2021, excuse me. Um, but, you know, hopefully more news comes quicker than later uh, about these other cl clubs, because I know what it's like. If, if you don't have these options right now in your town, you're wondering what's next. Um, hopefully answers are coming quick. Like we've mentioned, there's this six team that's in a negotiation for the draft league. Hopefully we get answers on that in days, if not weeks, um, and, or, in, you know, in weeks, if not days, but yeah, it, it's nice to have this part of this settled. Now we're going to wait to, to hear more official confirmation about the, you know, 120 teams that are going to be coming, um, where they're going to be, who they're going to be affiliated with that's coming. Uh, you know, hopefully within the coming weeks, um, but to have this down on paper, down on paper in ink uh, for these clubs is exciting for the clubs themselves who, who now know what they're planning for 2021, but also these communities who know exactly what they can look forward to mostly beginning next May between the draft league and the pioneer league. There is uh, one other item to discuss as it pertains to uh, the current situation with the minors. And that is the situation uh, of what appears to be now formerly AAA Fresno. There were reports uh, last week that the Fresno Grizzlies had been given kind of an ultimatum that they had to decide in very short order, whether they would accept a demotion from AAA to single a uh, in full class or full season 
A, which is now uh, going to be the lowest designation of affiliated ball. Um, I guess we would have ordinarily just called it Class A as not to be confused with Class A Advanced. California League, which used to be a Class A Advanced League, now looks as though it will be a Class A League in 2021 and going forward. Um, Fresno was apparently told that it needed to make a decision. Uh, The Fresno City Council met earlier this week in a closed session meeting. They did not take any action to report publicly, according to a report from the Fresno Bee. But Major League Baseball has given the Fresno Grizzlies more time to figure out the franchise's uh, future, according to City Attorney Doug Sloan, that also per the Fresno Bee. Um, This is obviously a a tough situation, but this is a, a tough spot for Fresno, given that they are an organization that has been... Uh, a model franchise in AAA, but is not conveniently located for a team really other than the Giants or the A's who have pre-set AAA affiliations. Um, the the Grizzlies have been tremendous partners at AAA for the Giants, for the Astros, for the Nationals most recently, but now they find themselves in this weird limbo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's a lot of musical chairs that's happening right now. Um, we, we've heard – it. It's funny that we keep hearing about this stuff through politicians. That's just some of the way that, you know, communities are getting involved in this and and communities want to go to bat for their teams. And personally, I love that. I I love that um, people are getting involved in in keeping teams around and keeping teams around in the ways that they enjoy. Um, One of the reasons why this this is kind of a game of musical chairs right now is AAA Rochester, the Red Wings, who we've talked about before on this show, um, became a Washington Nationals affiliate. We know that because Senator Chuck Schumer here in the great state of New York, uh, you know, proudly announced that, hey, I came to an agreement or he didn't personally do it, but he liked to take credit for it as politicians are wont to do, uh, you know, saying that we came, came to an agreement that made sure that Rochester is going to be the affiliate of the AAA uh, of the Washington Nationals. Now, the Nationals used to play in Fresno, and that was an awkward relationship. Um, you know, the Nationals, as you know, are in Washington. Fresno is in California. It's a very long trip. Uh, a lot of players from the Nats system are actually kept at AA Harrisburg in case they need to be called up because if there was an emergency, it was so much easier to call a guy up from the Eastern League than it was from the Pacific Coast League. Now, the Nats are a little bit more conveniently located in Rochester, that's going to be a lot easier to call guys up. Um, but now that leaves Fresno with a, without a seat. Um, so how is that going to kind of work? It seems like the way things were looking and with everybody else claiming a AAA affiliate that, you know, some of which we know, some of which we don't right now, uh, that Fresno was going to be the, the one left without a, a seat at a chair. Uh, so the next option was to go to the California league, which is now going to be a class A league as Tyler mentioned uh, the Fresno B includes in their story that that could be the class A affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. Um, but now it's on the city and it's on the organization and it's on major league baseball to potentially negotiate that out and what that would look like. Um, personally, I hope it stays around. Uh, Fresno, as Tyler said, is kind of a model organization. We're going to talk to Ben about this later. Uh, when we talk about the promos of the 2015 season, that's when the Fresno tacos started. Uh, I can't imagine a promo calendar in the minor leagues without Fresno involved in some way. Uh, Class A baseball is still good baseball. You still get to see guys come up. Um, being involved in the California League would be a lot of fun. The Cal League, uh, seeing guys get their starts there would be super interesting in, in how we know of it as a hitter league. Um, what is that going to mean for guys starting their careers? And also, what is Fresno going to bring to that? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. 
but uh, hopefully th- this comes to some conclusion that keeps Fresno in the affiliation chart because it, it's a lot of fun to follow that team. It's a lot of fun to see what they do at Chukchansi Park, uh, and I'm hoping they keep around. But again, you know, nothing's official until it's official. So watch this space, listen to this space, watch the space on MILB.com, and um, when you know, eyes are dotted and T's are crossed, we'll uh, we'll bring it to you as it as it becomes official. One thing that uh, I think could be beneficial, and uh, we're just game planning here live on the show, on the recorded show live, we're doing this. But I feel like if you have questions, uh, maybe we'll do like a mailbag segment before the end of the uh, the calendar year uh, for all your questions about, you know, where things go for uh, your favorite franchise or questions about these new leagues or all that type of stuff, uh, feel free to get in touch podcast at MILB.com. Send us your questions. We can, you know, do some research and uh, really try to address some of the things that are most confusing. Like I said, I think a lot of this stuff, unless you are a real minor league nerd, like we are, I think a lot of this stuff is probably very confusing. So if you have questions, uh, feel free to send them our way again, podcast at MILB.com. Sam will do all the research. He'll email it to me (laughs) and then I'll read things. That's fine. I'm I'm down for that. As long as long as I, like we should run a credits at the end. That's like yeah yeah re- researcher researcher uh, Sam Dykstra narrator Tyler Mon. There we go. That's fine. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I guess that uh, wraps up this opening segment of this week's episode of the show. Before the show, Sam's got the interview this week. Tell us about it, man. Yeah, this one was a lot of fun. Uh, this one was somebody I've I've wanted to get on the show for a while now. Ever since the draft, he was one of my favorite stories of the draft. Uh, the 16th overall pick this year, uh, Ed Howard, who went to the Cubs. You might know his story. You might remember if you were watching on draft night. Uh, Ed is a Chicago native. He actually played on the Jackie Robinson West team that won the, U- the U.S. side of the Little League World Series. They lost the, uh, in the international finals, but made a long run there. They had a big celebration for the team in Chicago. Theo Epstein stepped up to the mic and said, you know, we're really proud of you guys. Hopefully one day we'll be taking you in the 2023 draft. Turns out Theo Epstein was three years too late on that. His team took Ed Howard uh, in the 2020 draft. Instead, he's now the number four prospect in that system. So we get into, you know, what is it like starting your career uh, in 2020 when there wasn't a minor league season? Uh, He got a little bit of time at Instruct, so we touch on that as well. But also, mostly, just what is it like to join the Cubs as a Chicago native, especially right now, uh, as we're talking to you right now, the non-tender deadline just passed. Kyle Schwarber uh, was non-tendered. So I think the Cubs, between Theo Epstein leaving and Jed Hoyer taking over, it seems like they're about to turn a, a new leaf. And, and the next big Chicago Cubs contender is going to look a lot different than the last one. Ed Howard could be a part of that. He could be a face of, of the Cubs in his hometown, which is really neat. So we get a lot into that in this interview. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, 
which is why Forward Doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Well, we're really pleased this week uh, to be joined on the Minor League Baseball podcast, the show before the show, by number four Cubs prospect and the 16th overall pick in this year's draft back in June, Ed Howard. Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Um, so, yeah, we're getting you at a time right now when it's you're technically your first off season, but there was never really a full regular season. So kind of take us through, like, what what is your day-to-day like right now as you get your first off season underway? Yeah, right now, you know, I'm just training. Um, a lot of hitting, a lot of um, weightlifting, you know, getting in the gym, getting faster, things like that. Um, just, just, just doing a, a daily like off season grind right now. It's kind of feel like it's been a whole year like off season, but um, now it's the real off season. So just keeping that on um, same plan. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, yeah, what is it like going from like a year ago, right now? Like you were still in class. Like it's such, such a different time. I mean, it's a world away. It feels like a year ago, December twenty nineteen, but. Um, just how does your day-to-day change when you are now a f- professional baseball player? This is your job now. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I just get to focus on baseball 24-7. You know, it's, it's what I do now. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's pretty much a job now. So, like I, like I said, I just I get to do what I love to do every day, and, and that's all I really have to focus on. So, it's, um, it's great. I love it. Yeah, and when you were talking before about weight training and how that's such a point of emphasis right now, um, you know, what kind of program do the Cubs have on you and, and what is your, your kind of approach in that? And what are you trying to, I know getting stronger is a big thing, especially for a young player like yourself, but what is your end goal here? Like, what are you looking to be at when you get to spring training? Yeah. You know, just improve on everything, trying to, you know, um, keep weight on, keep getting bigger and stronger and then getting faster, more explosive. You know, those are things that I think are really important, especially with me being a shortstop. So, I'm just kind of working on, on every aspect of my game and, and just working on, like, the physical side of things this offseason and getting my body where I want it to be. And you spent some time at Instructs. That was, for all intents and purposes, your actual introduction to pro ball. Um, what were your takeaways from that, and what do you still carry from that experience into these workouts you're having now? Yeah, Instructs, it was fun. It was, uh, it was a great time for me to get get around a lot of the staff and, and meet all the coaches and everything and, and then meet some of the players as well, so – I enjoyed it. You know, I learned a lot about um about the game, about myself, about, you know, just, just everything, the way the Cubs do things, and, and I loved it, you know. So I, I took what I learned down there, you know, from the trainers, from coaches. um, And this offseason, you know, I'm bringing it back home, and I'm, I'm working on myself and getting prepared to go back down there for spring training or whenever they call me back. Hmm. And I know Instructs was a, a formative time, but a, a little bit of a short of a time, especially considering where you could have been maybe in the AZL, maybe a little higher during the year. Um, what specifically did you take away from that and carry into these workouts? Um, you know, we, we talk about like the, the, the physical side of things, you know, training with their, their strength coaches. And as far as like baseball, you know, um, getting, getting to be around those hitting coaches, you know, we talk a lot about hitting, we get in the cages a lot. So it's just like, it's, it's a lot of small things that you take away from, you know, the experience of time you are, the experience of time that you have down there. So, like I said, I'm just bringing everything I learned and, and just, you know, trying to perfect everything, working on it during off season. Hmm. And what what was the most eye opening part of that experience for you? The most eye opening. Um, 
I'll be honest with you. I, I really didn't think anything like, like, you know, shocked me or surprised me as much. You know, I kind of had a feel of what pro ball would be like. And, um, you know, it's nothing I can really think of that just that just shocked me when I went down there. It was it was fun. It's, it's, it's real competitive, which I love. You know, you get to go out there and you got to compete every single day. You know, it's, it's really no off days or no no easy days pretty much. So it's um it's fun. I love it. I love it out there. And one part of that experience, too, is you're getting your, an opportunity to introduce yourself. And I'm sure everybody there is aware of you in some way being the first round pick. People know who you are, especially on the coaching side, but on the playing side, too. I'm sure a lot of guys were looking you up. But how do you introduce yourself to a new environment like that? You know, coming from high school, you're around the guys all the time. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to be at a place where, as you climb the ladder, you're going to be introducing yourself a lot to new new teammates and, and stuff like that. So how do you go through that introductory period when you're getting to know new guys uh, around the Cubs organization? Yeah, you know, um, I think the main thing is just be like true to myself. You know, I always feel like I'm in this position because I deserve it. So I just go in there and, and be myself. You know, I don't really change much. And and when I'm down there, I'm 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 listening a lot. You know, I'm, I'm observing a lot. I'm taking a lot in. You know, less talking, more listening. And I think that's the way to do it, especially when you're starting off and you're trying to get the feel of everything and and introduce yourself. So that's 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 pretty much how I went about it. You know, just being myself. And um, and it went well. You know, I like the guys down there. And, uh, yeah, so when you are doing your listening, like what's the biggest question you're asking when you're, when you're getting around a coach for the first time or what's the biggest thing you're trying to learn? You know, I'm just, just learning about, you know, playing the game at a high level every single day, you know, getting, um, like preparing yourself like pregame and things like that, getting routines together, you know, ready to go out there and, and, and get things done. So just, um, just learning how to be a pro. That's, that's the main thing, learning how to be a pro right now. So it, it could become, you know, second nature. And to go back to the drafts and, and how this all started for you, you had one of, I think, what a lot of people would think was like the moments of the draft uh, when you were taken by the Cubs, you're, you being a Chicago guy, uh, you know, getting to go back home. And it was really cool to watch that moment and you spend it with your family. Uh, take us through what it was like to go through that. I mean, it, it's one thing to get drafted and, and it's the start of your career. And, you know, so many guys go through that experience. But for you to go home like that and experience it in the way you did, just take us through like what your thought process was and what you remember of that moment. Yeah, that, that was a special night, you know, going into the draft, you know, you never really know how it's going to um, play out. You know, you don't know what team is going to select you, where you're going to go and things like that. But um, I just remember, you know, being super excited and, and grateful for the opportunity, no matter where I went. And then when I got the call and heard it was going to be the Cubs at 16, man, I just remember like just thinking how special that was. And then afterwards, you know, relaxed like my family and friends and things. I feel like, that's when it really started to hit me of, of, of what happened, you know, being a hometown kid. That's like, I got such a great opportunity here with the Cubs, you know, and I'm just, just super excited and thrilled to get going. And, and you know, it's, it's special. I feel like a lot of people dream of, of moments like these and opportunities like this. And, you know, I got the chance to, to, to have this opportunity, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm dedicated. I'm ready to get going and, and, um, you know, do some special things here. And being a, a local guy, um, you know, I, I, we'll get into this later about, you know, the, the Little League World Series and your connection with that and Theo Epstein's quote and all that. But when did it feel like a possibility? I'm sure the Cubs were heavily scouting you. Obviously, they took you, but I'm sure the White Sox were in the mix. They were number 11. You were predicted to go around the middle of the draft. So it may have been even a possibility for the, the Sox at 11. When did it feel like, hey, this is a real possibility? I could just stay home here. Um, 
you know, honestly, like going into the draft, like I said, I didn't have any expectations. So I really wasn't thinking about a, a certain team. Um, but I would say, man, around like the 10th pick when I kind of got a call, you know, that's when I knew like, all right, this this is going to happen. And, and it, it, you know, it happened so quick. You know, it's not that it's not that, that much time, you know, between picks in the draft and things like that. So, you know, it just happens and you kind of reflect on it later on. And um, that's just kind of how it was. And I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm glad it was because, man, I, I really feel like this is the right spot for me. Hmm. And what have you have you learned anything new about the Cubs since? I mean, being I know you were a White Sox guy growing up. You're on the record of that. There are some pictures around of, of you wearing a White Sox hat growing up, and I get that you have to choose a side. But like, is knowing them being that close, them being the local National League club, I'm sure you're very aware of a lot of things there. So now you're part of the organization. Has there anything been surprising about the the Cubs that you've learned in the last six months or so? Um. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say it's anything like super surprising. You know, I'm learning how the organization runs, like the insides of the organization. You know, I kind of always been able to see the Chicago Cubs, you know, as a fan. But now, you know, being being a player and being in an organization, you get to see, you know, how the minor league system runs, and and you know, you get to be around a lot of the guys. So it's nothing that's surprising. You know, the the, the guys and the trainers, you know, they're good people. They have fun, and 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 they we we put in work. So. It's nothing that just shocked me about the Cubs organization. And this draft was obviously a, a unique one in in many ways, um, you know, slimming it down to five rounds, but also somebody like yourself being a high school player, the spring was a could have been a real chance for you to either improve your stock or change your stock in some way. Um, but coronavirus hits in mid-March, everything gets shut down. How do you feel like the lack of a spring affected you in any way i know you you performed a lot on showcase circuits it's not like nobody knew who you were so your stuff is definitely out there um but what do you feel like a lack of games in in april and may especially in chicago when it's so cold in march anyway um how do you feel like that affected you going into the draft you know i think it affected me a little bit you know i put in a lot of work from uh, my junior year to my senior year and I, i changed a lot like physically as far as like getting stronger and and putting on more weight and you know, all aspects of the game, offensively, defense, defensively, you know. So I was kind of ready to go out there in the spring and, and show it all off and go out with a bang, you know, my, my senior year. And then, you know, it was taken away, so I didn't get the opportunity. But um, I feel like everything happens for a reason. You know, I think it was, you know, meant to be for me to, to pan out and go to the six, go 16th overall to the Cubs, you know. So I don't really reflect on, like, the past or anything. You know, the COVID hit and, and it changed things, but – you know, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, I, I would have been ready my senior year to go out there, and, um, you know, I feel like I would have shocked a lot of people. Hmm. And uh, when you when you say you would have shocked a lot of people, do you feel like you could have gone top 10, top 5 even in something like that? You know, I always feel like I should – I always feel like I could go number one. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 really, that's really how I feel. You know, I know myself the best. You know, I, I know what I'm capable of doing, so – of course, I think I could have won, you know, top five, top ten. But like I said, I, I really do think everything happens for a reason. And um, I think I got the great – I got the perfect fit, to be honest with you. So I'm excited to be where I'm at. Yeah, no, very cool. And, again, knowing you are a White Sox guy, um, how quickly did your family have to go out and, like, change hats? Are there any White Sox hats <laughs> still in the family? Like, is that going to be the Christmas gift this year? How did that switch happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy, you know. Um I think I think most of the White Sox stuff. I don't know if it's still here or not. You know, we kind of <laughs> we kind of moved on quickly. You know, it's it's um it's a Cubs household now, so they, they everybody adjusted to it and and we're all in. 
Very cool. Very cool. And uh, one of the reasons why you were such a, a high pick this year and could have maybe even gone higher if, if things have gone well was you're such a gifted defender. A lot of people thought you were maybe the best defender in this draft, certainly the best defender at shortstop, which is a premium position. Uh, I feel like hitting, it, it's easy to show things off and a uh, hitting standpoint, you can change your approach and all that. But defending, you either have it or you don't. Um, and you obviously do. A lot of people believe you can uh, stick at the six. So talk to us about about the, your development at that position and how do you show that off either in high school or on some of these showcase circuits to show like, hey, I am a really good defender. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, first thing first, you know, fundamentals have to be down packed. And you, and you kind of learn that at a young age. And um, I feel like the older you get, the more you have to, to learn um, – like how to play the position, how to play shortstop, like learning, you know, hitters tendencies, where to play, you know, up the middle in a hole, things like that. Um, I think the main thing is just always being in the right spot at the right time. You know, I think that's that's a good shortstop. You know, it, it's guys who have, you know, you know, real, real athletic and have range and things like that, but it's guys who just could be in the right spot at the right time, and I think those are the, are the best shortstops. So that's for me, that was just, you know, learning, learning about the game, learning about tendencies and things like that. And then being as athletic as possible and, and having fun. You know, you got to be confident out there at shortstop and just believe every time that ball is hit to me, you know, the, the guy's going to be out. You know, that's just it's just how the game goes. So, you know, keeping that confidence, staying athletic and um, just having fun with it, I think, is the key. And in terms of that positioning, um, is there anybody you try to model yourself after? Like, are there shortstops you watch at the major league level or any other level to say, like, hey, that's exactly what I want to be? Yeah, you know, I watch I watch a lot of shortstops and just, just kind of study and see how they play and, and the way they go about everything. But I, I truly think, like, like everybody's game is, is individualized. It's, 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 pers- it's specialized, like, to themselves. You know, I don't think you can copy anybody you know, and, and try to be exactly like them. You know, you got to be yourself and, and you can learn and take things from each and every player, you know, that you like. And But you, at the end of the day, I feel like you got to be yourself. So, you know, I watch, I, like I said, I watch a lot of the shortstops. And and moving to the offensive side, I, I've read that you have a little bit of a history with Cubs director of hitting Justin Stone. Uh, I know you worked out a little bit with him over the summer after getting drafted. Uh, talk us through your development on the offensive side and, and what you've learned about yourself, especially after instructs, getting to see live pitching really, uh, again, in a competitive atmosphere. Uh, and what do you feel like are the next steps for you uh, at the plate? Yeah, you know, um, same thing kind of with defense and same thing with hitting, you know, just learning about how to hit, you know, learning learning about your approach, learning about counts and things like that. And then, you know, when you get into cages and you're doing your work, you know, you're working on your swing mechanics, things like that. And then when you go to the game, it's more so just like competing. And, um, you know, I put in a, a lot of work with Justin Stone so far, and, and we're going to continue to to keep putting in work and keep getting better. But, you know, I think hitting is, is all confidence as well, you know. So I'm just just, just stay to the course, trust in the process, and, and keep grinding. You know, I, I've made a lot of strides at the plate, you know, and, and I think I'll shock a lot of people with just my overall game on both sides of the ball. So, you know, I really can't wait for this upcoming season. I think it'll be a great one. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of us are looking forward to seeing you out there for hopefully 100-plus games or so. When you say you've, you've developed a lot at the plate, what's, what's an example of something you're able to do now or something you're focusing on now uh, that you weren't necessarily in high school or, or on the showcase circuit? You know, we talk about, like, the mental side. Like, my approach is a, is a lot better. You know, going up to the plate with a plan, you know, looking for certain pitches and certain counts and things like that. And then uh, for me, it's like on the physical side. You know, I changed – my body changed a lot from high school. 
you know, from my sophomore year to my junior year, and then really from my junior year to my senior year, you know, as far as like my size and strength, it changed a lot. So, you know, offensively, you know, I can see the I can see the the improvements with with my strength. You know, the balls balls jumping off the bat. You know, balls are flying a little farther <laughs> than they used to. So, you know, it's improving. Uh, you know, improving on that side of the ball. And one of the big things about going pro for a lot of guys, I know there's a little bit of data out there on the amateur side now, but you, you have so much more access to that stuff now, and especially getting exit velocity stuff and, and finding out about barrels and all that. Um, what, what is, how much of that data do you incorporate now into your workouts? And um, what is it like to have access to that on this level? Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice. Me personally, I'm not really too big into like the data and things like that. You know, um, like I said, when I'm in the games, the approach is really to, to get barrels to the ball. You know, I feel like, if if you if you have a level swing and you're you're catching barrels, I mean you're gonna have a high exit velo. You know the ball's gonna fly. So I really stay away from um, all the metrics and things like that. But you know sometimes when I'm training in the off season, you know sometimes we can look at it. But for the most part, you know in the games and things like that, that's really not in my mind. It's just about you know competing and and catching barrels. Hmm. All right, fair enough. And now we'll bring up one of the things that I think a lot of people listening to this at home will probably know about you. You were part of that Jackie Robinson West team. In 2014, you guys were the U.S. champs in the Little League World Series. You fell to South Korea in the World Final. But um, performing on that stage is huge for, for anybody. But so, somebody who's now beginning their pro career, I mean, what did that do to set up you up for now, you know, taking on pro pitchers and, you know, potentially making it to Wrigley at, at some point? Like, what did it – how did performing at Williamsport, you feel like, set you up for everything that was to follow? You know, um, Williamsport is a, is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, you know, to be, like, 12 years old and to get to play, like, on ABC and ESPN, and then, you know, you're playing in front of, like, 40,000 fans. You know, that's, that's that's special to be at that age. And I remember just kind of going through that week in Williamsport and, and, and how much I loved it. I was like, you know, I need this to be a lifestyle, like an everyday thing, <laughs> you know, uh, I like to do. So it kind of kept me, kept me uh, motivated, kept me pushing, kept working, you know, as I'm getting older, you know, going to high school and things like that. And now I get to start my pro career. So it's kind of like the same thing, just keep grinding and keep going until, you know, I can make that a lifestyle. And then once I finally do, you know, keep going from there and, and, and just keep putting in work and stay motivated until, you know, the day I retire. And one of the most notable things about that team was that it was the first all black team to make it to the little league world series, at least that far in decades. Um, what do you feel like the legacy was for, you know, kids around you and kids coming up after you in, in the six years since then it, from Chicago to see you guys make it that far? Yeah, I think it, I think it motivated a lot of kids, a lot of, a lot of black kids out here, you know, decided to play baseball and, and there's a lot of like, you know, African-Americans coming up. And um, I think that run really put it like on the national scene to show that like, you know, African-Americans can play too. So I'm, I'm glad we got to do that. I'm glad, you know, a lot of younger kids were able to see that and, and hopefully get up and, and pick up a baseball, pick up a bat and, and start playing the game. And when you were talking to people, either local media out there in Chicago or just friends or people getting to know you, when did you notice a switch from, Hey, you were the kid on the little league world series team to, Oh, Hey, you're a legit pro prospect. Uh, uh, I would say probably like in high school, you know, I, I kind of always knew that I, I could be a pro prospect. You know, I knew what I was capable of and I worked real hard and I think people really started to see it, you know, kind of as I, I got into my sophomore year, maybe junior year of high school, you know, that's when that's when it really started to hit people. So, I mean, it's uh, I'm glad people, you know, recognized it and, and 
you know, it's it's cool and all, but just continue to work and continue to be the best version of me. And one of the coolest stories coming out of that experience was you guys got a big parade in Chicago and, and Theo Epstein stood up at the, at the mic that day and, um, you know, congratulated you guys, but also threw in there, Hey, maybe we'll see you guys in the draft in 2023. I guess he was expecting you to go to college, but you end up signing before that. And everybody made a big deal out of how that was kind of a prediction. Theo's moving on now and and Jed Hoyer's ready to take over baseball ops for the Cubs. It feels like the, the team is kind of turning over a new leaf, but as part of that, you know, th- there might be a little bit more focus on the minor league system. What is it going to be like for you to maybe be part of the face of the next chapter in Cubs history? You know, it'd be nice. You know, I'm ready for it. You know, I'm, um, I'm going to just continue to work, continue to grind. And like I said earlier, like be the best version of me and whatever positions I'm put in, whatever, you know, whatever opportunity presents itself, I'll be ready for it. Like, um, that's kind of how I'm going about it. You know, I'm just ready to go out there and play. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, I think the Cubs, I think, um, I think they know what they're doing. I think they're going to do the, they're going to make the right decision and we'll just go from there, but I'm ready to play. I'm ready to get going and, and I'm excited. And do you feel like there's any added responsibility being a local kid, you know, knowing that there are going to be so many kids around Chicago thinking like, oh, shoot, if Ed Howard can make it to, to Wrigley, I can too. Or do you feel like you you have to just prove that on the field? Like, how do you balance that, being the local kid who has to kind of be the face of this but also be a good player? You know, uh, for me, it's just, you know, not putting pressure on myself, just, just playing the game. Because at the end of the day, it is a game, and it's something that I've been playing – my whole life. And I think, you know, if you just focus on, on, on performing, like on the field, everything else off the field to take care of itself. And that's kind of where my head's at. Like I just, just keep grinding to keep getting better and, and go out there and perform and, and hopefully motivate a lot of people and, and open a lot of people's eyes about, you know, what African-Americans can do, can do playing this game. And, and hopefully, like I said, I can motivate a lot of kids to keep playing and, and keep going. Very cool. All right. We'll, we'll leave you on, on these two. I want to get your, best Alec Thomas story real quick. I know you guys played together. Alec Thomas now being a prospect in the D-back system, uh, a well-regarded one. He has ties himself to the White Sox uh, being the son of a, a strength conditioner out there. Um, but playing two, you two guys together, I'm sure that would blow the minds of a lot of people who follow prospects. What was it like playing with him, and what are your favorite memories of that? Uh, my favorite memories, you know, playing with AT. I would say – um. I would say one of the main things that sticks out with Alec is is how like laid back and, and, and how much fun he can have playing a game. You know, he when I was a sophomore he was a senior and I remember it was a lot of, you know, scouts and everything coming out to watch him play. And I just remember him like in a clubhouse in the dugouts, you know, he was always so like relaxed and always cracking jokes, always always chill and then he would go out there and, and hit a home run or something to come back and still just be cracking jokes like you know, like it was just so easy to him, and he just he just played the game so smooth and so so relaxed. You know, that's the main thing that I saw from him, and I'm just like, you know, that's that's pretty impressive that that he can he can be so chill with it, you know, and, and still perform at a high level, and and you know, he never put pressure on himself. So, you know, that's 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 mainly what I took away from Alec, you know, in high school. Hmm. All right, we'll we'll leave on this one. We we are talking to you here on December second. The holiday season is fully underway now. Now being a mid first round pick. I imagine Christmas is going to be a little bit different for you this year and, and people asking things like I have the family wish list changed uh, in the last year for you. And, and what, as you know, now a pro baseball player, what do you ask for, for the holidays? 
Uh, you know, I wouldn't say the wish list changed uh, that much with my family. You know, um, I'm I'm definitely gonna take care of them this year. You know, I feel like they deserve it. They've been supporting me throughout everything. But um, you know, me personally, it's not much I ask for for Christmas. You know, I I'm it's not it's not much I I really want. You know, I just kind of wanna. I, I, for me personally, I feel like I, I like to get gifts for other people instead of like myself, you know, so I'm definitely take care of them and, and we're just going to enjoy the, the holidays together and we'll have fun with it. Yeah. Maybe we'll start with a, a healthy 2021. That'll be a good gift. For all of <laughs> yeah. That's a great awesome. gift for everybody. All right. Ed Howard, thank you so much for taking the time here. This was really great. Really enjoyed our conversation and uh, good luck with the rest of the off season. Uh, happy early holidays. And we can't wait to see you on the field at some point in 2021. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, I wish I was a good enough singer because then I would just sing just the two of us. Because uh, that's all it is this week in, in our segment with our own Benjamin Hill. It's just Ben and me. Ben, how are you doing? Doing all right. And I wish you had sung, Sam. Um, you know, it, it's the thought that counts. And, and actually, this just reminds me, and I do not want to go down tangents too much here, but I saw Elf for the first time last night. What? Yeah, yeah. And I wow. think, you know, there was some spontaneous singing there. And it wasn't very, you know, uh, all that accomplished in terms of, uh, Know how it sounded, but the the whole thought uh, and sentiment expressed in that movie, which I know very well because I saw it last night for the first time, you know, was, <laughs> just, just sing, you know. So be like Buddy the Elf and just uh, sing what's in your heart. Yeah, no, well, you know, maybe I'll save my uh, impersonation of the Norwal for later. Maybe that'll be a thing we can do because <laughs> that that's my favorite scene of that entire. It's a great New York City movie, first off, but um, for some reason, the uh, Norwal saying. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad is one of my favorite Christmas movie moments ever. Anyways, <laughs> start on that bombshell, but we have to uh, talk about some of the other bigger news of the week this week. Touched on it. Uh, Tyler and I did it at the opening segment, but as always, nobody's more traveled on this show than Ben is. And Ben, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about this stuff. Um, between the Pioneer League becoming an independent league, officially a major league baseball partner league, but for all intents and purposes, an independent circuit on its own and uh, several New York Penn league teams, as well as Trenton becoming part of the MLB draft league for 2021. A lot of this is as the player development plan for 2021 comes into focus, we're finding out about what these other teams have planned, but first off your thoughts about the draft league and the pioneer league now becoming independent. Yeah. And um, so I guess neither of those leagues, you know, formerly minor league baseball leagues, I guess they're, we'll see what the terminology becomes going forward, but they're, neither of them are minor league baseball leagues anymore in the sense that they won't have affiliated players, but they're both very much under the larger umbrella. And, uh, you know, for us, just in slow motion, it seems putting together this huge puzzle piece. It was, you know, Monday was a busy day processing all that and processing both leagues. And, um, you know, it's my nature anyway, but just to, to first and foremost, try to accentuate the positive, you know, every time you see these announcements, I, I just think my, I look at the teams involved and first and foremost, I generally think that's awesome. Like they are continuing on. It might be a different form, um, but those communities, those ballparks, uh, in a lot of cases, those team names and logos and identities, you know, they will continue on with, and I'm sure in a lot of cases with much of the same front office um, and same kind of operating style. So bigger picture, that's always great to see. 
Um, you know, I tweeted that day just how much I like the Pioneer League. You know, that was a rookie level when it was affiliated. So they now have a longer season. And uh, from what I can tell, the the product on the field will be probably as good or better than it had been, you know, at the rookie level in, in um, that they had been classified at. So I still, I feel if you're in one of those markets, you're still affiliated with major league baseball. You have um, a longer schedule. And uh, I think it's just great to think of, you know, communities um, like great falls and Missoula and Ogden, and of course, Orem moving to uh, Windsor, Colorado. Uh, that was another thing that it was easy to overlook amid the flurry of news, but it's a great league. Um, you know, great scenery and just a really cool place to play baseball, especially in the summer. And uh, so to have a really uh, packed schedule and, and uh, I'm just really excited to see what that becomes. And uh, I think it's going to do really well up there. And uh, the draft league so far, the uh, four of the teams are from the New York Penn league. So again, that's a fairly applicable crossover. Trenton's a big one, uh, as you know, with um, going from double a to the draft league, but again, just great to see what these teams realities are going forward. And uh, you know, I'm now curious about the rest of the New York Penn league that hasn't been announced and where they'll slot in uh but it's nice to have some clarity coming forward and i'm sure we'll get more uh, soon enough yeah and and just to name those four teams from the new york Penn league uh mahoning valley state college west virginia the black bears not the power the west virginia black bears and williamsport crosscutters um, so those four teams plus trenton as they mentioned in the announcement itself there's expected to be a six team added um, there are negotiations going on. They, they haven't named that six team yet. Hopefully we're, we'll be finding that out in a matter of days or weeks, but keep them peeled on that. Just to go back to what you mentioned about the Pioneer League, because this is one of the ones that I'm um, most fascinated by. Uh, you mentioned you know, some of these towns and how they'll have an extended schedule and how great the scenery is to, to see games there. Just take us through like what, what it is. Like, let's say somebody wanted to plan a road trip tomorrow. Uh, for 2021, you know, knock on wood, everything's going to be able to start in May as is scheduled right now in the Pioneer League. What is it like just to travel around that league and, and see these different parks that, are, again, are going from rookie advanced to uh, independent? I think first and foremost, you just think about what states these teams are in. You know, you have uh, Montana, Idaho, Utah, Colorado. So even if you're not too familiar with that region of the country, just think of driving in and around those states in general. Um, you know, a lot of open space, a lot of great mountain views, a lot of wide open, uh, you know, lots of winding rivers. You know, speaking in general terms, because it's been a few a few years since I've been out there. Um, I remember being out uh, along roads that, you know, Lewis and Clark first uh, traversed, maybe not the literal road, but that uh, area of the country. And uh, just being stunned by some of the ballpark views. I mean, obviously one that really stands out is Ogden with the Wasatch, Wasatch Mountains uh, in the background, uh, just the way they're in the background in some way, shape, or form at uh, Salt Lake Bees uh, in Salt Lake, and and they as they had been in Orem as well. Though as we mentioned, that team is is moving, and and is generally smaller towns, smaller communities. Uh, you know, this is a league where you know Missoula you think of as one of the bigger markets, and uh, certainly one of the more bustling urban areas, just because uh, it's a college town as well. And by that by the standards of that region. The, of the country, it's more urban, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, progressive. And uh, these teams, when they talk about their competition, especially having been short season and still being short season to a degree, uh, a lot of what their biggest competition is is people just taking advantage of what is generally a cold weather area and packing in as much as they can do in the summer. And that includes a lot of hiking, biking, whitewater rafting, and what have you. Um, it's a region with just 
generally speaking, so much to do in the out of doors. And hopefully people will continue to make time for uh, professional baseball on top of that uh, at all those ballparks. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely on my list of someday going through there because your stories on the blog and on the site and everything coming coming back from those places and some of the pictures you've taken of just the backdrops are, are amazing. Um, how's about this for a transition? Speaking of one of the best backdrops in all of minor league baseball, uh, the Charlotte Knights. Uh, ben, you have a story on them today. Uh, I really love the picture that's going with this as well. Uh, it's about an initiative that's work from home and then in parentheses plate. Uh, it seems like the Knights are trying to turn their suites into basically office rent rental spaces. A lot of people are having to work from home or, or whatever. Um, they have to be social distancing, but a suite at the ballpark is an opportunity to do that and check out this awesome backdrop of the Charlotte uh, skyline behind the outfield fence as well. Yeah, work from home, parentheses plate, uh, Charlotte Knights Ballpark. It's now called Truest Field. Uh, but, you know, even in the midst of uh, so much going on in minor league baseball as the landscape gets reformed, I'm, of course, still going to plug away just on stories of teams doing interesting things. And uh, I saw the Charlotte Knights doing this, and I thought, huh, I don't think a team has done that before, running out their suites um, as a place where people can go work. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are working from home, as, as we are both right now. Um, and, you know, you get a little cooped up sometimes. So I think it's they're just trying to capitalize on the idea of, hey, get out of your house and go work at the ballpark. You know, it can be a little pricey. Um, you know, it's $95 a day for a suite, but you can share it with up to, you know, with three other people, four people. Um, and obviously you'd have to work that out through, you know, your own relationships to one another and COVID concerns and whatnot. Of course, the team is following all uh, CDC guidelines. You know, you wear a mask when you enter the ballpark and when you're in common areas, but when you're in your suite, uh, you can take the mask off. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, this ballpark with a view of the Charlotte skyline, you know, it's, it's always gets mentioned and we've mentioned it with having one of the best views in all of minor league baseball. The ballpark was built in 2014. So, you know, it's a downtown facility still fit very uh, modern, gleaming, fresh, new seeming and uh, with a gorgeous skyline, you know, so you get your internet. Uh, they also worked with a uh, company canteen that does, uh, you know, grab and go concessions and they converted their owner's suite uh, you know, the largest suites into a break room of sorts where people who are renting the suites can go there, get a, you know, choose from 30 different types of coffee, uh, grab lunch, and then go back to their suite. Um, I think, you know, there's TVs in there. You can uh, get your Zoom feed hooked up with that and do Zoom calls, you know, with yourself in a baseball field in the background, that sort of thing. And uh, it's just, just like so many things in minor league baseball, the sort of thing, uh, once I saw it, I was like, huh, I don't think anyone's done that. I'm surprised. And I would expect maybe more teams try to do that in the ensuing months, um, you know, get a little more revenue uh, coming in any way they can as we ramp up to what will hopefully be as full and robust of a minor league season as possible. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of odd in so many ways to think about, you know, what we've had to talk about this year and um, what teams have had to do between people driving into the, the parking lot and picking up ballpark food, you know, from their cars, that type of situation, or potentially working out of suites is just another one on top of the pile of creative ways. Teams are getting people into the ballpark, but also generating revenue at a time where they didn't have games in 2020 to, to make up for some of that lost time. Um, but it, it is kind of fun, you know, speaking of that to look back and think about what could have been in 2020 and what was in other years, especially when it comes to promotions and bringing people out to the ballpark. So you had another one of those stories uh, recently on the 2015 season, uh, which looking back on, I know we keep saying like, Oh man, that, that feels like it was yesterday. 
Um, but talking about like the Fresno tacos, you have that in here and hearing about, you know, how they started in 2015 when it seems like such a solid piece of the Meyer league landscape. Now uh, this wasn't, was a really fun one to look back on. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a fun series to do starting with 2010 and working my way up the uh, promos of the decade. And when we talked about the 24, 2014 edition of this column, you know, the, it was really the, the whole focus there was like, wow, this is the year that theme jerseys broke through and really became you know ridiculous and a lot more pop culture related ones and uh, ones that were really picking up on the energy of the internet, particular Twitter uh, to go viral. And 2015 was very much an extension of that. Um, you know, minor league historians will, of course, note 2014, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, they didn't change their name, but they unveiled the bacon logos. 2015, Fresno Tacos won up them by doing a food branding and then actually changing their name. Now, here it is in 2020, and we didn't even have a season in 2020, but think of all the teams who have changed their names and unveiled an alternate identity, regional food item, name and logo and promotion it seems like it's been going on maybe longer than it has. That was 2015, Fresno Tacos, the first one. And there've been so many since then. So looking back at 2015, you know, I make the point that it's, it's hard to, I don't see how you wouldn't choose that as the decade's most influential promo or the year's most influential promo of 2015, the Fresno Tacos. And uh, in 2015, they just did it for one night and then it soon became Taco Tuesdays where they did it every Tuesday. And so many other teams have fallen suit all across the country in, in those uh, regional food rebrandings. And uh, yeah, theme jerseys galore that year. And a lot of them, it was just like, oh, I remember that, I remember that, I remember that. You know, the Staten Island Yankees becoming the dire wolves on a Game of Thrones night and actually getting George R.R. R. Martin to the ballpark. Uh, Frisco Rough Riders with the full house night and uh, Dave Coulier was there. Uncle Joey, you know, Brooklyn Cyclones uh, with the Save by the Bell night. Uh, Toledo Mudhens, this is a really interesting one, and I feel like it should have gotten more play then and now. Um, they played a double header, did the Mudhens, uh, and it was Back to the Future themed, and they wore different theme jerseys, one that was a throwback jersey for the back equation and one that was a futuristic jersey for the future, and they did that on one night during a double header. Uh, so kind of like 2014, theme jerseys really took this, took center stage in 2015. It was uh, fun going back and having a look, and um, – I hope people are enjoying these articles. I've got more to write, obviously. And uh, as I always mention on Twitter, too, I try to throw in really random ones, maybe towards the end of the article, just to jog people's memories of really random stuff or things you would have forgotten about. And I came across the Lake Elsinore Storm, Donut Tread on This, Donut Tread on Us promotion. Donut Tread on Us. <laughs> promotion was dedicated to an Ariana Grande. I can't, now I can't even talk, Sam, help me out. <laughs> yeah. So Ariana Grande, as you guys might remember, I honestly would have forgotten, uh, such as my connection to current pop music, but Ariana Grande visited a donut shop and licked several donuts, which became viral for reasons because 2015 was simpler times and that's what went viral on the internet. But, uh, Lake Elsinore storm, like so many teams did seem to like pick up on that and had, a you know night where a thousand fans could receive what you write here as an unlicked donut i don't can we confirm that can we just make sure that those donuts were actually unlicked like they didn't take this promotion too far yeah i think the chill was of course that a donut is naturally inherently unlicked but uh so they just gave away donuts and called them unlicked because ariana grande had licked donuts and the nation was very briefly mad at this i mean these were display donuts that she put back i mean 
why are we talking about this? The only reason I brought it up was just to say that minor league baseball, as the years goes by, I find it more and more fascinating to look back at some of these promos to jog my memory and jog our memories uh, of these fleeting pop culture moments that were immortalized in really stupid ways by minor league baseball teams. And they're some of my favorite things to look back on. That's what, one of my favorite parts of the promo schedule every year is just like something really stupid will happen in February and who's the first minor league team that's going to jump on it and say, Hey, by the way, we're going to have this night in June to pick up on this stupid moment that happened on February 11th. And then we all forget about this stupid moment come June, but they still have it on the calendar. It, this is like the perfect example of that. So I'm sure that's exactly what happened here. Uh, quickly, Ben, before we let you go um, last week, uh, you know, we had a different type of show, so we didn't have you on. So I want to get you to touch on this real quick. You did a story about how the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp, are attempting to have their own license plate in the state of Florida. Um, they need to meet certain quotas. I think they need to have 3,000 customers commit to purchasing one of these. Uh, but I've never really seen a specialty plate around minor league baseball before. Uh, that's what makes this story so special. Can give us some more details about this with the jumbo shrimp? Yeah, you know, as I said before, just trying to find um, just random team initiatives to give uh, larger coverage to. And when I saw that the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp were – um, taking pre-orders on a specialty license plate. I was like, that's kind of interesting. I don't know if I can get a whole story out of that. Maybe just a tweet will do just to acknowledge it. But David Ratz, the team's director of promotions, um, you know, really creative guy and someone I've been in touch with uh, quite a lot through the last three or four years. You know, I got in touch with him and I was like, hey man, is there, what do you think? Uh, is this uh, good for a story? I mean, do you have a lot to say on this or does someone from the team have a lot to say? And he was like, yeah, I do. And it turned out, this story turned out to be weirdly fascinating to me because um, the team had the idea to maybe get a specialty plate. You know, they play across the street from the Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars. So you're seeing Jaguars specialty tags around the, the city of Jacksonville. And, you know, the thought was, why can't we do it? Well, they can do it, but it's going to be really difficult. I think they'll get there. But you actually have to get these bills approved through the state legislator, uh, state legislature. <laughs> I am losing my mind on speaking. Uh, through the House and Congress. I mean, through the Senate. <laughs> You're almost there, Ben. Finish. Through the State, House, and Senate. I can do it. Uh, so the story with these plates is, you know, they worked with their local state congresswoman, a then later a local state senator. It failed. It passed the House two years, but then failed in the Senate because the Senate thought there already were too many more specialty tags. It finally passed on the third year, but got lumped in with a bill with other specialty tags. So when all was said and done, their quota went from 1,000 to 3,000 because when the jumbo shrimp specialty tag was passed, it got lumped in with so many other specialty tags. So now to make this a reality, by October 2020, 2022, they must sell 3,000 pre-orders of the specialty tag to have it go into production. So I did not know it was such a long and winding road um, involving politics and governing bodies and lobbying and everything else. And now that I'm kind of investing in this story, I'm interested to see how it goes. They hopefully have two full seasons to have a, you know, a concourse table set up selling this license plate to their fans. Uh, you know, as David Ratz pointed out to me, Hey, if we're averaging roughly 300,000 fans a year in attendance, we need to sell 3,000 uh, pre-orders to get this plate into production. You know, that's 1% of our attendance. Let's do it. We can do it. And, uh, you know, if I had a car and lived in Florida, I'd do it. But I'm over for 2 on those fronts. So I will just uh, root for them from afar. Well, I hope you have like an outlook 
uh, calendar set up or something for that date in 2022, just to come back to this story. Cause I mean, I want to get to, uh, you know, the new year and then to the spring first. And it's crazy to think about what the world could look like in 2022, but I also want to know how this story ends and hopefully they'll get to that 3000 mark. Um, Ben, before we let you go, given the way this interview started, I feel like I have to ask this now, like what is the next holiday Christmas movie you're going to see that you haven't seen before. We've been this through this before baseball movies and the Sandlot. Now you say you've never seen elf until uh, just the other night. Like what's next for you? That's a good question. You know, I've seen uh, it's a wonderful life miracle on 34th street. Um, I used to like bad Santa back in my twenties when I was a young man, um, you know, seen various editions of the Christmas Carol I'm trying to, I've even seen the Jim Carrey Grinch. So maybe I've seen a good amount of Christmas movies, Christmas story, I've seen it. So maybe I'm not that deficient in this particular drama. I think I will, or genre, keeping in uh, with the fact that I can no longer speak or pronounce words. Um, so I'll have to think about it, but I will take recommendations on Twitter, of course, a Christmas movie to see at Ben's Biz. Um, I think I'm about to seek out that uh, Christmas movie where Tim Allen played Santa. I'm sure that one's delightful. <laughs> The, the Santa Claus that yeah that one yes you should seek oh, out is that, is that which one it is yes okay. yes you should seek out the Santa Claus me I, let, let me just check one more because I feel like you left out a classic in there that would be up your wheelhouse uh Christmas Vacation yes or oh, no yes I, I have seen that it's been many years but I've seen that one as well I was gonna be very concerned if you hadn't seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation all right I can sleep better tonight thank you Ben catch you next week thank you Sam it's been great just being a just the two of us Final segment on this week's episode of the show before the show. Before we get out of here, Sam has this week's nationwide prospect fact of the week. Yeah, we're going to call it the fact of the week. It's, it's not so much a fun fact uh, that we normally bring you, but it's still something I want noted. I talked about this earlier. Uh, as we're recording this, the non-tender tender deadline just passed. Normally, that's a major league thing. This is a minor league baseball podcast. No real prospects were non-tendered that we're going to talk about here, but did find something interesting in the NL Central. Um, <clears throat> the Cincinnati Reds non-tendered two guys that I want to focus on here. They non-tendered Archie Bradley and Brian Goodwin. Why is that interesting for our purposes? Well, both of those players were acquired at this year's trade deadline. Uh, the Reds gave up Stuart Fairchild, who was their number 11 prospect at the time, and utility player Josh Van Meter for Archie Bradley. They traded Packy Naughton. Uh, Packy Naughton! There it is. I was waiting for Tyler to yell. <laughs> Uh, they traded Packy Naughton and a player to be named later or cash for Brian Goodwin. Naughton was their number 14 prospect. Uh, so essentially the, the Reds gave up a number 11 and number 14 prospects for guys that they expected to be long-term players, but because they, both were non-tendered, they essentially paid for them as rentals, uh, which is unfortunate. You don't want to be dipping into your prospect pool uh, for rentals like that, but that's just the way it worked this year. Uh, kind of unfortunate for the Reds staying in the NL central, the Chicago Cubs also went through uh, a similar story. They traded for Jose Martinez. Uh, they acquired him from the Tampa Bay Rays. They gave up Pedro Martinez, not the pitcher, uh, middle infielder switch hitter. He's 19 years old, uh, but they gave him up for that acquisition. Martinez didn't Jose Martinez didn't stick around long enough. Uh, they ended up non-tendering him as well. Uh, so as things stand right now, Pedro Martinez is the number 21 prospect in the Tampa Bay Rays system. 
Packy Naughton's the number 12 prospect in the Los Angeles Angels system. And Stuart Fairchild is the number 13 prospect in the Arizona Diamondbacks system. Uh, all of these guys traded for players who were eventually non-tender. Packy! Packy <laughs> Naughton. Packy Naughton. I, you got it better. I, I think you've gotten better at this over time, which I'm, I'm so, proud of you for. I got to say. Packy Naughton, this goes back a long way with uh, me and Josh Jackson and also you, Sam, because I do just a terrible Boston accent, which generally just involves me yelling the F word in a Boston accent. <laughs> um, but Packy is a nickname that I'm pretty positive does not exist anywhere outside of the geographic boundaries of the Boston area. Uh, but it is a nickname for the name Patrick. His name is Patrick Joseph Naughton. And uh, Packy Naughton. Packy Naughton. Yeah, we should say he is a left-hander. He went to Virginia Good Tech. Good thrower. Uh, you know, 2017 ninth round pick had a 3.32 ERA in 2019 through 157 innings. He threw 154 innings the year before. Lord knows he's, he's durable. Um, but yeah, that Packy Naughton. Anytime he does anything, I feel like we get tweets like that name's not real. It is. You can search his MILB.com page right now. Um, Packy, so. give me my sandwich. Go down to Duncan. Oh, now you're just trying to do like Casey. Stop working on your SNL. car in the parking lot. Okay, no, now now it's bad. <laughs> now it's bad. You, it, you were slipping. Sam, it's one of those Sam Adams commercials. And those are actually pretty funny. Nature's firecrackers. The yeah, your cousin from Boston. <laughs> those are actually pretty funny. They are they are pretty, pretty funny, good. but they're also a little offensive. Oh, little are they? Offensive. Are they? Well, that's offensive. okay because Boston has been offending the rest of us for 15 years. I can't win this. Ah, there's 16. no way. Yeah, there's no way I can oh, win four. any of those arguments because, <laughs> you know, I've seen the data and it's not like 80% of our listenership is from Massachusetts. Thankfully, I'm glad we're spread out, but I know it's it's everybody against us. So but what it means is good pickup for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim because Paggy Naughton's been very good since uh, joining the pro ranks out of Virginia Tech in the ninth round of 2017, as Sam noted. So that'll do it this week's episode of the show before the show again get in touch with us if you have questions about uh minor league realignment the the new leagues the changed leagues your team where it's headed what it's going to be like feel free to get in touch we will uh, do our best like i said maybe we'll do a mailbag episode or something like that before the the year is out uh podcast at milb.com is the email address same as on twitter at sam dykes or milb and i am at tyler mon and uh that'll do it for this week he's sam i'm tyler we'll talk to you next week. Oh, 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 oh,